0: Welcome to Rad Talk with Tracy, the podcast. Discover what's possible when people impacted by reactive attachment disorder inspire change and build community through sharing stories. I'm Tracy Poffinroth Prado. I'm your host. I'm really glad you're here. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. And I'm really excited today to introduce my guest because it's not very often that we get to talk with someone who has come through the other side of reactive attachment disorder. Today, I'm talking with Andriana Sickinger. Is it Sickinger? Yep. Okay. Sickinger. So (laughs) we're going to be talking and she is going to tell us all about her life growing up with reactive attachment disorder, growing up adopted, and how she came through it and what she's doing today. So today is a very hopeful story that I think many of us um, hope for ourselves in our own lives. And so this is real. Welcome to the show. Hi,
1: thank you for having me.
0: So, Andreana and I have met um, because we interviewed a couple of weeks ago, and I forgot to hit record. But I think it was a, a blessing in disguise because the sound was the sound quality was kind of off. So that was our practice run, and uh, we're just going to take another stab at it today, right?
1: That's right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So, Andriana, you're adopted, and you were telling me that it was an international adoption. You were adopted from where?
1: Guatemala. I was adopted when I was about a year and a half old with my older sister, who was four at the time.
0: Okay. And did you have any other siblings there at the time? It was just the two of you.
1: Um, I do have another biological sister. She was older than my. So, I have another sister who's two years older than the sister that was adopted with me. There's three kids, but she wasn't adopted.
0: She wasn't adopted. So your no. older sister stayed with your parents, both parents
1: in Guatemala, or what was that situation? Uh, she was raised by my aunt, I believe, in Guatemala. Okay. Yeah. My dad, my biological dad was an abusive alcoholic. My mom, she's really young, so that wasn't really a good household for her to be raised in. Right.
0: Right. Or you. Yeah. Yeah. So you were adopted at one and a half. Your sister that came with you was four. Mm -hmm. What was your life like growing up, your
1: childhood? So when I first was adopted, I was like, quote unquote, picture perfect. Like I never cried. Went along with everything. I looked up to my older sister. So I copied a lot of what she did. I had a thing called flat face. I believe it was called where I had no emotion. Like if you look at all of my, all of my like childhood pictures, I'd smile, but like my eyes weren't smiling. Like I had no emotion. <laughs>
0: flat, flat affect. Is that what you're thinking? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That, that. Yeah. That. Yeah. The doctors actually told my parents that I would never like get past that. Like I'd always have that. And yeah. Weird. But, oh.
0: um, so you had flat affect, all of your pictures, you didn't have much facial expression and do you notice that when you're looking at photos? Do you go back and look at them and do you notice that in your photos?
1: Yeah, it's actually not too long ago. My mom and I were looking at pictures of me and my little sister. So my mom was pregnant when she adopted me and my older sister. Sister, uh, she's very with me. So we kind of were grown we grew up together. You can tell a healthy baby versus not a healthy baby because my little sister had so much emotion and expression like in all her little baby pictures. And that was just, I didn't have any. <laughs> and you didn't. Yeah.
0: yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Interesting. So you were the ideal baby um, or toddler. So what changed? When did it change? What happened?
1: So um my older sister started going to therapy. She she showed like different behaviors of rad than I did. Um so she went to therapy first and the therapist was like your other daughter probably has it too. But I was very like I was more shy and I didn't want to like um express anything so like I mean I, guess I was really neglected so I that's why I didn't cry. I later found out because I mean I cried all the time and no told me so that's why I was like perfect. You cried all the time when like before I was adopted, obviously, cause I was since I was neglected, nobody came to like console me. So I learned at a very young age not to cry because no one, it didn't help. Yeah. So that's why I was like "quote perfect baby because or anything. And then I just went along with everything. And then when I started going to therapy, that's when we figured out why I was doing that. Um, I, I was just like, a, I was terrified. Um, I copied my older sister because I didn't want to be me. I internalized the adoption and being given up as not being lovable. So um, I just like hid behind my older sister and pretended to like carry on her personality and showing my own personality. So my parents would never actually know who I was. So then I went, I don't know, it was just terrifying, so.
0: And remind me. So we. T- I'm so glad you're bringing this up because we talked about it last time. And that for me was such a powerful piece um, of what you shared was the fact that you copied your sister because not that you didn't know how to be yourself, you didn't want to show your true self. So what was the fear? What were you? What What were you afraid of if you showed your true self or if you were you? I
1: had a huge fear of abandonment. obviously I didn't understand fully like adoption and like my mom gave me up out of love but I didn't know that I thought it was she gave me up because she didn't love me or I wasn't lovable and like at a young age you know your mom is supposed to be the one that loves you unconditionally so I thought if my own mother couldn't love me then how can these people that I'm with now love me and so if I showed myself and who I really was that was just really vulnerable to me because I'm like, oh, then I'll be rejected again and then left again. So if I wasn't myself, then then maybe that would be more lovable than who I was. Right.
0: And maybe self-protecting, right? Mm-hmm. Protecting so that you didn't get rejected again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's hard to hear. And isn't it amazing that at such a young age, you knew or had that feeling that a parent was the person to look after you and take care of you and keep you and and -hmm. you felt that so strongly at such a young age. You started, you know, acting like your sister, what kind of things would you do? What what did that look like? Who were you?
1: I was in this I don't know. Um I don't know, like for example, like my sister, my parents would be like, hey, what do you guys all want to drink? And my sister, I don't know, she said apple juice. And if I wanted orange juice, I would not say I wanted orange juice. I'd say I want apple juice because that's what those like my old sister wanted. Or like just things like that. I would never actually ask for what I wanted. I would just go along with what my old sister was doing. and like, Literally everything.
0: <laughs> literally everything. Yeah. And so what was it about being like your sister that felt safer than being like you? Were you not afraid that she being like her would cause, you know, your parents to?
1: Um, I think it's just, well, she was my biological sister. So like, I felt the most drawn to her and like safe around her, but also like, so like I just naturally took on her identity, but it was just, it wasn't really necessarily her as a being. It was more so like, it wasn't me. So like right. if my parents did reject
0: me, it was like, oh, okay. Well, that wasn't me that they rejected. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's so like mind blowing that insight. Wow. So as long as you're somebody else, even if you do get rejected, it wasn't you at the heart of you that they actually rejected.
1: Yeah.
0: And we talked last time too, about what were the two major, you had two major feelings through all of this, your adoption and, and being in the home with your adoptive parents. Do you remember what we talked about? What were your two kind of driving feelings?
1: Uh, Fear.
0: Yeah. Fear. And just, yeah. So fear was one of them for sure. Fear and, uh, Uh, Being scared, I think is how you worded it last time, is that you were scared, but you didn't show that you were scared.
1: No, I, so, okay, so I started going to therapy when I was around uh, seven and I really didn't like, for a while, I didn't get a lot out of therapy because I just lied through my teeth and then actually, I was never vulnerable, like, um.
0: So like, I really didn't
1: get anything out of it, but I really didn't start showing other emotion and actually like being a human until I started neurofeedback when I was nine. And that triggered a lot of like, I became like violent and angry, but like that was easier to express than being vulnerable and scared, even though those are my driving. Those were like what I actually was feeling, but being angry and aggressive and violent was a lot easier to show right but,
0: right yeah not as vulnerable right <laughs> yeah yeah and it and it also helps to push people away
1: yes as a master of the whole push-pull thing were um, you <laughs> yes I wanted to be loved I did yeah. but also if you got too close to me I'm like well okay back it up. Yeah. and then being aggressive was the easiest way to push someone away because like obviously no one wants to be around someone that's mean right but, Right.
0: And, you know, it's that disorganized attachment or that push pull. And I think that is interesting to hear because as a rad parent, you know, we often don't see or sense that feeling of wanting to, of our children wanting to be loved or not. Um, And sometimes we do. My daughter definitely has that push pull um, where you can see so badly that they, they want to be a part of um, the hugs and the cuddling on the couch and the closeness and the bonding. But like mm-hmm. you say, the minute that it happens, boom, it's into protective mode. And then it's the angry violence.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And what was it about getting too close?
1: Almost like a feeling of like losing control. Like I needed the con- like by me acting a certain way and getting the responses that I was trying to induce that gave me like control and power. But then, like, love and like being vulnerable, it's just, I felt more out of control. And mm-hmm. That was terrifying to me.
0: Yeah. Cause it sounds like it goes back to that fear of being re- rejected, right? Mm-hmm. So, those moments. So then you, you want it. That must be so hard to want to connect and be loved, but having to hold yourself back yeah yeah and we were talking last time too that when you were angry and violent the the targets were your mom your mom and your bio her biological your sister the youngest sister is that right (laughs)
1: yeah yeah my dad was worked a lot so he wasn't really around as much so my mom was a stay-at-home mom so I was with her all the time And then my little sister was super, super close in age with me. So we basically grew up together. And since she was my mom's, like my mom's biological kid, I was threatened by her and very jealous of her because I just felt like she loved her more. Like there was no way she could love me this, like the same amount. So I took all my anger and I was very mean uh, to my little sister and my mom.
0: Are you okay talking about some of the ways you were mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) Uh, (laughs)
0: Uh, and I got to thank you for sharing this and being vulnerable right now, because this is, this is a peek into uh, someone with reactive attachment disorder that's lived it that we, we don't get. So uh, this is so enlightening and
1: helpful. I'm here for (laughs) like physically I would like trip her, hit her. I'm a little sister. Yeah, like her hitter um i would just do things that i knew would make her mad but like i was very passive aggressive like too so like it didn't look like i was doing anything but i was <laughs> like, gotcha. yeah. um and then my mom i was very aggressive with her i wasn't as aggressive as my little sister as i was with my mom like my mom and i would like physical altercations
0: <laughs> really yeah yeah um, what would usually set those off or do you know
1: honestly I don't know like like if I'd had like a few good days it, I would always like self-sabotage and then like be, like do something to like pull back you know push pull right to- I'm like, okay, like, this is too good. Like, this is too scary. So then, I just do something.
0: So during those good days when things are calm and you're a little more open or, you know, engaging, Mm -hmm. I don't know what the right word is. But so when that's happening, even if you're not showing it, that is feeling good for you. But then it gets to be vulnerable again that fear of rejection and loss of control and then you sabotage, yeah, it's helpful, because I think a lot of parents can relate to that, I know I can, we would have a couple of good days, or we would do something really fun all day, and then mm-hmm. that evening would be, yes, or you know, a meltdown, a really difficult night, and next couple of days, so, that,
1: yeah, very similar, yeah. like, after school, <laughs> like, I remember talking to my mom, she's like, I was prepared, because, like, if, for some reason, after school, I don't know if it, because I held it in, or something, like, all day. But then once I got home, I was I was a little gremlin. <laughs> so what
0: was school like? What was life like outside? Could you bring up another good point As, um, or topic? What What is life or what was life like for you outside of the home, away from your mom and your sister, your younger sister, that was a trigger for you or a difficult situation? What was life like at school and friends and just being out in the world away from your family were you different
1: definitely different I think it like depended on the situation because sometimes I couldn't easily like put on a facade and pretend I was like this perfect child but other times I had so much anxiety in public and just people people terrified me um but also elementary school those are definitely my like harder years Um, I didn't really have friends. I didn't know how to be a friend, let alone even have, like, let someone be my friend. Uh, uh, And I was just, like, in and out of therapy a lot, so I was gone from school. Uh, I was, or I also had ADHD, so I was really disrupted in class, too. (laughs) It was a little combination of everything, but I wasn't, like how I was at home, like it's evil. I was better. I did steal from kids in elementary school.
0: You did steal from kids. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever get caught? Did they find out?
1: Yeah. I vividly, I was a kindergartner. This was like, I don't know why, how I vividly remember this like so much, but I stole like juice boxes from this little boy, in my kindergarten class. And I don't remember how I was caught, but My mom literally made us go to the grocery store buy juice boxes and I had to bring it to class, like and give it to the and boy. And the, it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that's like one of my memories of yeah. that. <laughs> but
0: so when you look back at those years, kindergarten, elementary, what what feelings come to you? What what do you feel when you think about those days for you?
1: Honestly, I don't really like thinking about. Like my worst years of like, I mean, yeah, I don't really like elementary, like all my elementary school memories kind of like blur together. That was not good memories. Like I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, like I had a great time in second grade. Like, Right. So you
0: knew it was hard for you and mm-hmm. looking back is hard for you because it doesn't feel
1: good. Yeah. It wasn't really until 12 is when I was like healthy. I got, you, you could say I was a healthy kid. Um, so then I actually started making friends and then I actually really did enjoy school. Like I have some really good friends now.
0: Yeah. So talk about that. What, what changed for you? So, and you mentioned a story um, that I thought last time that I thought was really good. It was something you were upstairs looking out a window. Can you talk about that?
1: We like went to a mental health institution. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because okay, so. This is
0: part of it. We need to know your, and I'm glad you're open to sharing it, but you know, kind of what you experienced when you had reactive attachment disorder, what you did and why, because it'll help us understand a little bit more and have more compassion for our
1: kids. So I like went to normal like public school. And then I also like my mom to like get breaks. She would like send me to another lady's house that had kids with reactive attachment disorder. So that was like another way I was like treated but also it's kind of was more so for a break for my mom then also I went to a mental health institution because so my like room door was a window to our uh, driveway up into our house and I remember seeing like my siblings like playing outside and then my mom sitting like in a chair right in the driveway and I think I just felt like left out and just sad yeah like I needed to get her attention some way um so I literally took my window apart like I took the screen off of my window and it was like one of those crank windows I'd like crank it all the way right over. yeah um I think I was like uh, seven seven I was, yeah, I was little yeah um, and then I literally like climbed up in the window and I was screaming out like and my mom, like, mom, I'm going to jump. I wasn't going to jump. I don't think. I don't think I was going to actually jump. Right. But I just needed to get her attention somehow. I'm like, mom. that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then she ended up calling the police and I was sent to a mental health institution. I don't think I was there that long. It felt like forever, though. I it was bet. terrifying. I was was that? <laughs> it was not a good time there.
0: No, but. no. So you were there for a little while and came back home. Mm -hmm. And did you get a diagnosis of reactive attachment early? It sounds like you're in a place or you had, you're in a place that had resources or people that understood the diagnosis and the disorder. So you were Mm -hmm. able to get a little bit of help and get the diagnosis.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think I started therapy around seven. My mom started using like Nancy's techniques around six.
0: Nancy Thomas. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's who connected us. We have to give a shout out to Nancy Thomas because, uh, yeah, you're a success story and hopeful story for, um, other kids growing up with reactive attachment disorder and for parents. And so thanks a big shout out to Nancy for connecting us. So your (laughs) mom started, that's what changed because that's what I was going to ask is like, what? So at 12 at seven, you're going through all this stuff you know, Mm -hmm. controlling and um, angry and, uh, you know, aggressive. So Mm -hmm. then to say, oh, I was a normal, healthy kid at 12. uh, What, what changed?
1: Three main things that helped me the most.
0: Three main things?
1: Yeah. Okay. Ultimately it was my, like, every child has to make the decision for themselves. But I think three main things that helped me was when my mom like was consistent with some of nancy's techniques um neurofeedback because that's what let out all my emotions and then eventually taught me how to actually handle the emotions help, right, right. and then i had once i've been to so many different therapists like i said in the beginning i lied through my teeth to most of them and most of them went me right um, but one i just remember she was not nurturing at all and she would call me out like every single time she's like that was a lie trying in or like I don't know like she she knew what she was doing so I was like I did not like her <laughs> but was it helpful was that helpful I mean yeah yeah because like, yeah. I mean what how she was a therapist was kind of like how my mom parented like it was very like one like Nancy's techniques like you just had to be so like consistent and Keep so your foot down and not easily manipulated. And she was not.
0: Right. So if you say something or you're going to do something you stick to it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. But then ultimately, like I always say, I think there is a, like a point where you just have to make a decision for yourself, like the kids that aren't healthy versus kids that are healthy, I think, because there's a point like you can dwell on all your traumas and all the bad things that happened to you or you can take it and accept it and like want to change it because like you have people around you that love you and you have to like eventually allow them to love you and then once you do you can look inward and start loving and trusting yourself and then use the things like the hard things that you went through something better and like wanting a better life for yourself you know you right. you're never going to be happy if you just dwell on everything that happened to you. I mean, everything, everyone goes through hard things, you know? Right.
0: What was the moment? What was that moment for you when you made that decision? Do you remember?
1: Um, it was definitely gradual, but it was after I was able to actually fully trust my parents. Like when I said, like the Nancy, like when my mom was consistent with using Nancy's techniques that made me respect her more because before she did, I was really, I could easily manipulate her and just, you know, it just wasn't really a relationship. But then once she like never gave empty threats, she was consistent and I couldn't get anything past her. Then I started respecting her, which came with me eventually trusting her. And then once I was able to trust her, then I was like, okay, now it's me that's holding myself back. So Mm -hmm. I had to like, like, yeah, i like, what are you going to do to change it? Because I'm never going to be happy. Like, I wasn't happy. Like, I knew I wasn't happy. Um, and I knew there was a lot more out there. Because I, like, watched my sisters. They were happy. Or, or my little sister or my little brother, like, who were healthy. Right. Healthy kids. Like, they lived, like, a fun life. They're, like, people I went to school with. They had a good life. And I wanted that. And I think the healthier I got... I got tastes and glimpse of it. So I'm like, okay, this is what I want. So I just worked for it. Gotcha.
0: And I remember you telling me too, that you wanted to be happy You and you weren't happy, but you just, you thought I'm never going to be happy unless I make that change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you had initially the therapy wasn't helpful. Was that therapy one-on-one or was it family therapy
1: um, I don't want to different types of therapy. Like, yeah.
0: But the therapy that didn't work when you were saying you were talking to the therapist and manipulating them was that one-to-one, like just you and a therapist? Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then you found this therapist that started calling you on your stuff. Your mom started using techniques then being consistent. And I loved what you said. I loved what you said. And it might have been in our last or our first <laughs> try at this interview i liked how you said that once your mom became consistent and you trusted and respected her it allowed you to go within yourself felt safe enough to do that yeah and i guess when things are kind of working and you've got that trust there's nowhere else to go really the next step is well now the only tough part in the equation or the challenge becomes you And then you have to decide to work through that or not. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, And that must have been so hard. We talked to you about you. I asked you, when was the moment you realized that um, you were starting to get healthy and you knew that things were changing for yourself? Do you remember any moments that where you were like, huh, this is different? I wouldn't have done this before.
1: I do a big woman I just knew like, I had like longer streaks of good days or good weeks or good, like, and I let it happen instead of self-sabotaging. I'm like, okay, like, this feels good. I like this. So. Yeah. And
0: you and your mom obviously didn't get along for a lot of years. She was the, the target for you and your sister. What about your relationship with your dad?
1: Um, so at first, obviously, I didn't know how to have a relationship with him, and out of everyone, like, all people that I was afraid of, men, are like, the main, main fear of mine, but, um, my, I used, so my, my parents, like, like, they're divorced now, but, like, they never really had, like, I guess a good marriage um so like I knew like my mom's weaknesses with that so I would pretend I was super close to my dad and loved my dad when I was little and I mean I didn't really even know it was what how to love so obviously I didn't but um I would do that because I didn't hurt my mom because like I didn't show anything but hate towards my mom then I'd be like oh dad like I love you <laughs> right
0: Yeah. 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 Just to kind of rub it in her face a little bit or try and get to her. Yeah. 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 What do you think it is somebody growing up with reactive attachment disorder? What's your view on, you know, why is it mostly the, the mom or the person that's home all the time as the caregiver? That's the target. Do you have any insight about that? You may or may not. I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that.
1: For me, there's like two things. So when I looked back at like the root of my feelings of being abandoned, for some reason I blamed my mom for it more than my dad. I don't know. I think it's just because we talked about my mom more, like, yeah, like your mom. I don't know. I, I don't I don't think it was ever like, hey, your dad put you up for adoption. Was, your mom put you up for adoption. I mean, she did, it wasn't my dad, but um oh, right. So I think it was like anger towards her. So then my mom that adopted me was just like another mom. So then I was like, oh, well, now she's gonna be another mom that leaves me. And then also she was around all the time, like with me. So you can't be, you can't pretend for like like all the time, you know, like my dad, when he got home, like I can pretend to be a good kid or like, you know, yeah. Because he was there all the time, but my dad, my mom was with me all the time, so like obviously, I was terrified, so I'm gonna act out like right, you know, I couldn't hold the facade every single day, right? Her.
0: So, part of it is that you feel that it was your biological mom that abandoned you, so here's another mom who could mm-hmm. abandon you, and also the person that's there all the time, of course, they're the one trying mm-hmm. to connect and cause. Uh, yeah. Trying to connect and give love and, you know, bond and help. And that makes sense that you would push back.
1: Yeah. Also, in a way, it's kind of like me acting out towards my mom was me in a weird way trying to work towards being close with her. And that makes sense. Like, like with my dad, like when he was home, it's just easier to like manipulate him and just I don't know, with my mom, like, I was like, okay, like, she's the one, not like she was trying more, she was just there more, so, like, she, just knew she would be the one that would probably, like, break in first, like, you know, and, like, get to see me first, so, like.
0: Interesting. So, the more that you kind of pushed at her and pushed at her, you were hoping that it would eventually break things down to the point yeah. that you could open up
1: and all of it was like a giant test like everything I did there like it was to push her away but it was also see how she would respond because if she would just if she was easily manipulated I'd be like okay well she's weak
0: <laughs> yeah no that's okay to say I mean, it's honest
1: <laughs> or if she just gave up then I'm like okay yeah, and just reaffirms that she was not love me but then Um, So that wasn't her response. So she'd keep fighting for me or like keep giving me love. So I'd be like, okay, maybe she does love me. So each time I did, it was just another test, even though I tested her 50,000 times a day. I don't know why I needed all that reassurance, but that's really all it was. I just wanted to see like, how far can I go until she actually does give me up or will she? Like, does she actually?
0: Do you think if you hadn't gotten therapy, would you still be pushing and trying to, would you still be in that situation? Do you think you could have ever broken through on your own?
1: I don't think so. No. Um, I'm. I probably wouldn't as be. Wouldn't be as childish about it. I don't know. Like, cause as a kid, I think it, I would have issues in a different way. Like, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have any friends or family. I wouldn't have, know how to have a relationship in any of any kind. Right. Like work with people or trust. I was terrified of everything. So like, don't mm-hmm. know, like. So I have a
0: question for you. This is me wondering about my situation, but I'm sure there's a lot of parents because, um, you know, some families, it gets so hard and there aren't the right supports that some of our kids with reactive attachment disorder end up um, spending time in a residential treatment center or a therapeutic or non-therapeutic boarding school or some kind of program. And I know, this is a very hard question to answer because every person is different. Every situation is different. Rad is different for everybody. You know, um, Mm -hmm. it's that spectrum. But when you're saying, you know, you, you kept testing your parent, what do you think about um, kids with reactive attachment disorder that do have to leave the house? What do you think, like, if that had to be the situation, what would be helpful to still try and work and connect besides therapy? I guess maybe that is what it is, is therapy. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I remember when my mom would drop me off at that lady's house. Mm-hmm. I would be terrified the entire time. So I'm like, well, you're never coming back. Like, mm, yeah, you know, like when I like went out to that mental health institution. I'm like, well, <laughs> like, they left me. But my mom would always, like, reassure me. She'd be like, tell me back. Like, i going to be here. Or she'd, like, tell me. "She's like, you're going to be here for a few hours. Or, like, we will be here. I don't know what she said when I left for the mental health institution. But I think no matter what, the kid is going to feel abandoned if they are left somewhere. Mm-hmm. But it's just they're going to need to be treated. And then they'll get healthier. And then they'll have a healthier outlook on it. But at the time, they're obviously sat there because they don't, they're not not healthy. So they are going to feel
0: abandoned. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Reassuring. Reassurance sounds like it was very helpful for you that we're still here for you. We're still family. You mentioned something last time too, that you were saying one of the moments, because your relationship with your mom was very rocky, uh, there was a time where you said something to her that was not so nice but it was the first time you actually felt um kind of bad about it
1: mm-hmm. that's when I could tell I was getting healthier or that I actually like loved her um mm. uh, uh, because for the longest time I would do and say the meanest things and have no remorse about it
0: yeah did you um, feel you hated her I mean it's yes. okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just didn't know, I didn't love myself. So I didn't know how to receive love either, you know? Right. So it's all wrapped up
0: into that, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, but, and so we talked about, you said something that wasn't nice to your mom and then you walked away from it. And that was the first time you're like, Ooh, I don't. Yeah. There was feelings of remorse or sadness about hurting her. But you also yeah. said at that time you weren't ready to, you didn't want her to know yet, right? Yeah, <laughs> you felt it, but
1: no, I'm not gonna apologize, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was new for you. So then, what started after things got consistent with your mom and you started being able to, you know, go within? Did you ever? I mean, you've obviously started to be who you really are, and you found yourself, and so you had to. You were somebody, it sounds like, who stuffed everything down and then neurofeedback really helped to release it, but it didn't, it wasn't all happy. You had to get through those hard emotions that actually brought up the anger so that you could express it and let it out and work through it to get to the point where you're healthy and comfortable and Mm -hmm. who you are today. What's that like? So that process, you started feeling comfortable being you. Was it therapy or what, how did you start knowing other than that time with your mom saying, you know, something mean, and then noticing what, how did that evolve after that, your relationship with your mom and and starting to become yourself?
1: it's just like my personality, but now knowing who I am, like I have a huge heart. Like I feel very empathetic. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, I think that started coming out, like I didn't want to hurt the people around me that were showing me love right um obviously it took a while (laughs) yeah how long did
0: it take how long did it take
1: I mean I started therapy seven was it like yeah seven and I wasn't healthy like fully healthy till 12 till I was 12.
0: five years yeah
1: Mm-hmm. and
0: did you get therapy in your town was it family therapy and and also using nancy's techniques
1: yeah. Uh yeah i got therapy like in my town okay my mom went to like a lot of nancy's like parenting classes she so should bring that home
0: so about five years but uh yeah you made it so how does it feel being you and what's your relationship with like with your mom today
1: It's good I mean I like being me now yeah <laughs> um and my mom and I have a great relationship I have a good relationship with my dad as well
0: good um, and a real relationship right
1: yeah it's real yeah I'm grateful for both of them and then uh, I, am close to my siblings, even my little sister that I hated at the time. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. Um, and I actually have real friends, like really good friends. I have a degree. Um, do you live in the
0: same town as your parents or have you moved away?
1: No, I actually moved away about a year and a half ago.
0: Nice. And do you keep in touch? How regularly do you talk with your sister and your, or your younger sister and your mom?
1: Um, it depends on the week. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But like yeah. we keep in touch. Right.
0: Wow. And so you would say you have a good relationship. You're close. You're attached.
1: Yes, definitely attached. <laughs> right.
0: What a different world for you. How's your anxiety?
1: Good. I mean, obviously I have anxiety me up about like life sometimes. But sure,
0: yeah. And so you're you're in your twenties? Yep, I'm twenty five. Twenty five. Uh, and so here you are at 25. You look back on those years. Would you ever want to go back? Uh, no. <laughs> I, so.
1: I would say I wouldn't change it. Cause I think that's who that's made me who I am today. And right. I have such a huge heart for helping people. And I want to become a rad therapist myself and help kids that struggled like I did right. and right. just like bring help to people. I just want to use my life for something. You have a life of significance and use it for something far greater than myself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if I didn't go through what I did, I wouldn't have as much compassion or like a huge heart for people. Mm -hmm.
0: And I was going to say, I'm so glad you're talking about where you are today and what you're doing because you already have a degree in psychology and now Mm -hmm. you're working towards your master's. Yep. Right. And you've got a great relationship with your mom, your dad, your younger sister. What about your family in Guatemala? Do you have any connection to them?
1: Um, Yes, it's very hard to communicate because I speak Spanish and I, yeah, it is one of my goals to learn Spanish.
0: But um, because it's hard to communicate, yeah, they speak Spanish, not English. Mm
1: -hmm. So the main people I'm in contact with is like my full-blooded biological older sister and then I have a half sister from my mom's side that I talk to pretty frequently. Every once in a while I talk to like half brothers and sisters from my dad's side. Um, My dad still tries to reach out to me but I don't have him.
0: (laughs) Say that again your dad reaches out to you but you.
1: I don't really engage in that. Um, I was able to meet him once I think that was like enough for me. Um he's not a good guy and does not he doesn't have a good character, so I don't really feel like having him in my life. I don't really owe him anything. So mm-hmm.
0: and what about your biological mum?
1: Um, she actually passed away about like a year before we found my family. So I was never able to meet her.
0: That's hard. That's gotta be hard.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a weird feeling. Like it's disappointing. Mm-hmm. But I never really had a relationship with her, so I don't really know. I don't know if I grieved it in, like, a normal way, you know? Like, how you would, like, if I lost my mom now, like, that would be grief. But, like, it's just more so, like, I wish I could have met her. Right. Like, I could thank her because, I mean, my life is amazing now. Like, it would not be if she didn't make the decision to put us up for adoption. Like, who knows? what my life would in. Wow. Black.
0: That's incredible to hear for me as a parent that you're grateful for the situation you were given and that you have this, you've worked through and come through reactive attachment disorder. You have relationships with friends and your mom and your dad and your sibling. And yeah, I mean, that's, I think what every parent hopes for and to know that it's possible and to know that you're going to be a rat therapist out there being able to relate and help other kids that are going through this and and essentially helping the entire family because it it helps everybody connect and and get through that piece of it do you in meeting your siblings do you feel a connection or is it do you get to see pictures and
1: uh, it's actually kind of funny Cause I know weird, like when you're adopted, you can't help, but like, I don't, I feel like a lot of people that are adopted feel this way, but maybe it's just me, I don't, but when you like, look at your family, you know, like genetics, like you don't really know where you get your personality from your features from, I mean, we have pictures, but like, you know, it's different. But when I met my family when I met my oldest sister, like the one that's full-blooded, um, it's just funny to see because she was a mixture of me and my other sister that was adopted with me, but her personality was very similar to my sister's that was adopted with me. And then my half sister from my mom's side, her and I had like the same personality, like laughter and like, it was just weird. Cause like we wow. weren't raised together, but it's just like, it was cool to see. Like, yeah. Like I felt like it was my, like my family too, but right
0: it answered some of that curiosity.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you have been so open and willing to share your story. And like I say, uh, reactive attachment disorder, you know, better than most is such a difficult life, uh, for Mm -hmm. the, for you, for the entire family. And just to know that it's possible to get through it and have a happy life, and be able to connect with others, and bond, um, I'm just blown away, and, and grateful for you sharing that. And I love that you offered insight, kind of the top three things that helped you get through it. I think that will help other families. Is there anything else that you would like to share, or that you would like people to know?
1: I mean, just for kids with red, just that they should know that It's worth being vulnerable and finding that courage to allow love to come in and to love yourself and just like be resilient because once you do, you can look back at your past and like rad and rather than like a burden and being like ashamed with it or like who you are, you can be like proud of who you are and like everything you went through and that you are strong enough to get past it. There's light at the end of the tunnel.
0: There's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. And what would you tell parents or siblings? Like, what did you, and you might not know this. I think we talked about it last time. I can't remember the answer, but is there anything that you needed that you were like, ah, oh, if only they would do this, or if only this would happen, or did you, mm-hmm. were you even at that place where you could have that insight? My
1: siblings were all really great I mean they stood by me
0: <laughs> they stood by you
1: yeah um um my parents um uh, honestly just like the advice is just just to continue being consistent because like when they were like honestly consistently was the biggest thing I was the most stubborn job and it me like three days to get certain tasks done but my mom stuck with it and that was like the biggest thing was when she was consistent
0: so even if it took you you were given a task and even if it took you three days she still expected it to be done yeah plus more (laughs) plus more right because if it wasn't done you add on a chore wasn't that it
1: Yeah, her famous, her famous saying, I think she got it from Nancy was quick and snappy and right the first time. And if I did that all wrong, then I had fun friends.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you shared something about like, if you had a chore, you would either, you were telling me last time that you would either do it really quick and not do it well, or you would take forever doing it, but they were both, that was motivated by control.
1: <laughs> yes is a huge control thing so like if she gave me a chore I'd either do it super fast but wrong intentionally oh
0: intentionally
1: yes <laughs> pretty much everything your rad kid does they know they're smart
0: right right yeah yeah we well, know so what would be the intention of doing it and then not doing it right just to see if you would wrong. still be
1: lovable I guess because then she'd be mad yeah yeah <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, so it's really just control and yeah. get a reaction out of her.
0: Right. So that you kind of, yeah, gain the, gain the power. Okay. Yeah. So if you didn't do it right, she would add on another chore and they would add up. And you were saying too, that, um, you didn't like it, but you did it. Like it, there was a piece of you that you didn't like it. It didn't feel good or it made you mad. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there was another piece of you that said, or understood that it felt good or that it was a good thing.
1: Cause then, then she was more of like an, like she was a parent, like rather than someone I could like easily control. Mm. Cause like I was scared of people and I was scared of everyone around me. So I felt like if I could manipulate her, then so could like a bad person. Right. right. And, then,
0: and then you're not safe.
1: It's all about safety. Right. So like when she was consistent and strong, And when she was consistent, I saw her, I respect her more and she looked, she was strong to me rather than weak and like not able to protect me. Mm -hmm.
0: And so when she was consistent, it's not like everything changed and was happy and (laughs) easy, right? Would you still, you know, push back against that? But, right. So, and I'm just saying that so that when parents are consistent, it's not we're not to expect that everything will just be like, oh, thank you. I'll go do this now. <laughs> right.
1: That's when it's gonna be a process. But once you like consistency, like once you just keep doing it, like
0: despite the pushback.
1: Okay, five years. She started Nancy's techniques when I was six. Wow. And it, so it's six years,
0: twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's kudos to your mom, because that's a heck of a lot of consistency. And strength too. Too. yeah. <laughs> well, both of you are both of you are. And I'm so happy to know that I'm happy for your mom and your dad, but you and your sibling, just to know that I know how much as a parent, you want that relationship with your child who has reactive attachment disorder. And I know how much we want our children to succeed and feel better. And we don't know how to do that all the time, but uh, so I, I know the, how your mom must feel. This is just so amazing. And the dream come true and uh, even happier for you because of what you had to overcome. And it's not easy facing your fears and coming through and being vulnerable, especially as a kid, you know, when you don't even understand really what's going on, you do on a emotional feeling body level but not, you know, a cognitive level to be able to express and to just take that leap and trust and feel safe. And then to create this life for you and come through it is amazing. So yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for being here and sharing your story uh, and for just offering hope. And I can't wait. I hope you keep in touch. Um, You know, maybe we can check in with you down the road when you are that therapist and- (laughs) We'll see We'll see what amazing things you're doing then.
1: Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.